This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 3, the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you so much for joining. Great to have you here, as always. Uh, really appreciate you giving me your time today. And let's just get right into it, shall we? The media has learned nothing, absolutely nothing, since the presidential election has uh, ended. And over the course of that election, Their incredibly partisan efforts were not enough to push their preferred candidate across the goal line, and they harangued the opposition, they browbeat the American people, they constantly screamed about racism and sexism, and really sought to run a a pro-Hillary campaign that just demonized both Trump and his supporters. And she lost on the election was fair and square, and now they are doing exactly what they did before, I suppose because they believe that it will hobble the Trump, uh, the Trump transition and, and also, of course, the Trump presidency. And they're using the exact same tactics they used to try to push Trump out of the general election or try to make sure that he lost the general election. And now here we are. Nothing, not a bit, has changed with them i think that we're beginning to see that there's almost a kind of psychosis that has filtered into the minds of the left wing which is really just the media in general they have a a blinding hatred of donald trump that overcomes all other senses and sensibilities all other obligations whether to journalistic integrity or just to act like adults I saw this great uh, headline uh, piece, I think it was the Daily Beast, and it was Trumpkins love it when you cry. Yes, I'm sure they do love it when, you, when Hillary supporters and the left cry. I'm, I'm sure they do, uh, because people shouldn't be crying over this election. Like I said before, maybe if you thought you were going to get some awesome job and now you're not, okay, you know, people have bills to pay, families to feed, that can be stressful. But just because you thought Hillary was going to shatter that ultimate glass ceiling, and she didn't, 
uh, tears are not respectable in this context. So they're going after Trump. They're going after his senior advisor, Bannon. I have to say, I keep hearing all this stuff about white nationalism and uh, and white supremacists. And then when they're supposed to give evidence of what the white nationalism, white supremacists is, I'm like, ah, that's eh, no. That I'm I'm waiting for it to come in. I'm waiting to see where this is. Just because a fringe element of a uh, a fringe element that has been suppressed and largely irrelevant in this country for a long time, talking about actual white supremacists or uh, white nationalists, just because they support one uh, political candidate for whatever reason, it doesn't mean that that person should have to then spend all of his time or theoretically her time defending against that support, right? I mean, do you think the new Black Panther Party votes Democrat or Republican? You won't hear much about that in, over the course of the election. But they've trotted out all these various uh, boogeymen. Now, they've trotted out all these different uh, sort of scare tactics uh, trying to find some way to make people still just back away from the new Republican nominee and the new Republican uh, president-elect, I should say, because he's just so unacceptable. He's so untakeable. He, they, they just... They just refuse. They utterly refuse to even give us a moment's peace without all the cries of racism. And what I've started to realize is that this is now we're at the point of of the counterbalance over the course of the election. Sure. I I think we could all understand that there was going to be a lot of nasty stuff said about Trump. And there certainly was. But one of the things that Trump's candidacy brought up was that the 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 left, the Democrats, it's even it's even beyond that. It's really just a sort of general infection in our discourse that we can't talk about things anymore. We're not allowed to speak about things. There are things that are off limits. There are ways that are you are dictated to about how you can speak when it's on, on certain subjects. There are ways that they make sure that you stay within the bounds, you stay within the lines. And they enforce this orthodoxy very aggressively, very viciously, I might add. They are uh, quite unforgiving and unkind when it comes to all of this. How do we break through this? How do we stop them from continuing to create false constraints on the way we discuss stuff? The way you can talk about things uh, with your friends, with your family, in the workplace, publicly, without real legitimate fear. It's actually beyond a fear with a real expectation of retribution. If nothing else, the Trump presidency will give us an opportunity, I would think, hopefully, to begin to peel back. I mean, political correctness isn't really a strong enough term for it because it's it's much more than that. I mean, this is we've reached a stage where there are political orthodoxies that are so entrenched where you have to, for example, embrace transgender rights you have to embrace multiculturalism islam is a religion of peace all of these are highly debatable propositions lots of evidence you could put forward that suggests that maybe these aren't just things to which we should all be forced to bow down maybe we shouldn't have to uh, proclaim from the highest mountaintop how much we love not the sort of melting pot analogy for america but 
you know, uh, a salad where things are all sort of separated and they're together but different, or you know, what, however we want to play out this analogy. Multiculturalism has its limits. It also has its costs. We should be able to discuss that. I shouldn't sit here and think, oh, gosh, what if someone hears me when I point out, why do we have, when I go in to vote for President of the United States, uh, many different languages. Uh, It was definitely Mandarin, Chinese, Spanish. I think there are a few others on there, too. Uh, The ballots are all in many different languages. I want it to be in one language. And I don't want to be called a racist because I want it to be in one language. Language is not about race. Language is about communication and shared cultural identity and the bonds that are formed from using a common tongue. This is just standard stuff, but it's pushed out of the mainstream. It's pushed out of our discussion. Not allowed to. Or if you discuss it, you have to say certain things or else you are cast out. You are ostracized. You're made. uh, They make an example of you. Trump is coming into office now, and we hear all of this stuff about white nationalism, white supremacy. You have 60 million people voted for Donald Trump. They're not white supremacists. And I'm really sick of all of the headlines and all the the blaring, fear-mongering nonsense on these far, uh, far too highly trafficked websites, not just of the left, but of some of the major news publications in the country that act like this is some sort of neo-Nazi, neo-fascist takeover of the government. I mean, it just has to stop. You know, I, I've reached this, this point in my thinking about it where I no longer want to sort of sit by and, and hope that they will... Uh, well, one, I mean, the American people did, enough of us did reject their message that at least Hillary didn't win. But also, they're not going to get tired of this. I, I suppose that's the recognition that I've had over the past few days. This is going to be the playbook for all of Trump's presidency. Trump is a, a sexual assaulter. He is a uh, racist. He's all these things that they say. They don't want to engage on policy. Uh, they're spending all this time running front page news stories on his transition team and the troubles within his transition team. I mean, the guy, the guy's been pre- been president elect for a week. I mean, is it a well-oiled machine? No, but what part of government is? And as I was discussing with you yesterday, I think you can hold up some of these Trump choices against just about uh, in, in terms of their background and their intellectual and professional pedigree to and look at David Axelrod, Rahm Emanuel. I mean, these are the these are the stalwart public servants that we're all entrusting our futures to. It was fine then. They won't wait. They won't allow Trump to be judged or the the administration to be judged on its merits. They want to set the narrative beforehand. Um, And I have to also say all these think pieces, and I really, we shouldn't call them that because they're really cry pieces, but all the stuff that's out there right now about how, how Trump is changing parenting and what will I tell my kids and, oh gosh, gee golly whiz, the country's, it's been so coarsened, our discourse is so coarsened. Really? Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if there were similar pieces being written when we were learning all about Bill Clinton and a 20-year-old intern and a blue dress and some of the verbiage he used, as well as other activities in which he engaged. Uh, was the culture course in then? Were people worried about what their children would know from the news? That this is how the commander-in-chief would act? I mean, just the, the hypocrisy has gone from 
uh, frustrating and flabbergasting to just appalling. There are more important things that the news media should be covering than rumors of squabbles from within the Trump transition team. And, yeah, people are trying to find their way into senior government posts. There's a lot of big egos that are being managed here. I'm sure there's a little bit of interpersonal score settling going on. I'm sure that it's not a an easy and clean business. But it's going to happen. The posts will be filled. And the people that they're discussing for some of these major roles are all well known to us. They'll be competent enough in these jobs, certainly. I mean, it's, this is not going to end in nuclear holocaust. Everybody just needs to chill. It's freaking out about all this stuff. But on the left, they don't want to chill, ever. They don't want to see how this goes. They certainly don't want to listen to people like me who point out that Donald Trump is a much better uh, option for them to try to get policies that at least they can live with on a number of fronts uh, than some of the other Republican candidates would have been. No, they've decided to continue with this storyline that Trump is just unacceptable. And they are undermining the president from or the president elect from the very beginning, from even before his taking office. And this is going to have quite negative consequences, I think, uh, for the country. This is not a disagreement about policy. This is meant to specifically undermine the president elect, undermine the next president of the United States as a person to make it seem as though he has no authority. He has no dignity and is not worthy of any respect. This is what the media is doing. And when I say the media, I mean, I could sit here and run through. I mean, the, the Huffington Post, for example, a site that I hope you spend very little time, if any, ever going to. Um, they've got, you know, the main story today is about women who accuse Trump of grabbing at them or something like that. Uh, on Slate, the GOP civil war is just beginning. Is Don- These are just headlines. Is Donald Trump Steve Bannon's puppet? Another piece, no empathy for Trump voters. It doesn't matter why they elected him or, wh- or whether they are good people. Their votes give racism power. You know, this overusage of the term racist and really the, 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 the decision that's been made or, or the trend on the left to use accusations of racism as a sort of nuclear option to silence those on the other side that you can just pull out. You can just pull out of your pocket whenever you want. Racist, racist. You can come up with some explanation for anything is racist. Apparently, the Electoral College is racist. I mean, anything can be racist. I'm sick of it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I don't want that to be the way we discuss things in this country. I don't want it to constantly be, oh, you've crossed this sort of imaginary line that we're all supposed to know where it is, but it's changing all the time. So it's not really a line. It's just more of a sensibility. It's more of a of an emotional an emotional trigger point for whoever's around you. And it could ruin your career, get fired, be uh, cast out. And the decision can all of a sudden come forward that, you know, you're no longer somebody that can be trusted or talked to or believed in because you say the wrong thing. If nothing else, I would hope that a Trump presidency can begin to push us beyond that. If nothing else, I would hope that having a candidate who has been so maligned is so hated by the press and everybody around him is still so hated and they are just sneering at them all the time and they're acting like Bannon is, you know, the leader of the Ku Klux Klan and people who are given a lot of money and privileges and perks and a big perch from which to spout their stupid opinions are saying this kind of stuff. 
I mean, we are digging in for ideological trench warfare, everybody. They don't feel chastened on the left. They're not, they don't want to change anything. They don't want to step back from all the shouts of racism and Islamophobia. And this is what their discourse has become. It, it is the animating force behind it. It is the prime motivator. It is what they are all about. Running around like little petty totalitarians, the speech police. The media is in on the game, too. And if nothing else, just watching Trump smash that, I understand. I really do understand this part of it. I know some of you are going to get mad at me for sounding too pro-Trump, but you know what? I, I got to back him on this, and there's a lot of other things, too. I want him to do well. I want him to be a good Republican president. This is, what I'm, this is where I'm positioning myself now. I'm, I'm hoping that he does good things, and I would like to at least give him the chance to do good things, and let's see what happens. I have some faith that he will do some good things. I didn't say I'm sure that I have some faith. But merely having somebody who can stand and take the heat and actually push back on all this stuff all the time. All right, Donald Trump is not a racist. And all this white nationalist stuff that's being thrown out there about him and his inner circle and everything, it's just noise and it's gross and it needs to stop. But what I've realized is that it's only going to stop if we fight back. And the only way to fight back is to call them out for being liars and to refuse to let them dictate how we speak. It's going to get messy. Going to a break. Be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and, and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Buck Sexton. Team, response to this half hour, silencershop.com. Look, I know a lot of you own firearms, probably enjoy going out to the range, you enjoy hunting. If you've never had one before, I'm telling you, a silencer is a must-have accessory for your firearm. Makes the whole experience a lot more fun. Makes it more social, easier for you to talk to people around you. And yes, you can, in fact, get a silencer. You just have to go through a process. And customers can trust that Silencer Shop will handle that process quickly and correctly because they submit more forms than anybody in the country by a huge margin. When it comes to doing the paperwork right for a silencer, you can trust silencershop.com. They submitted more than 60,000 forms to the ATF in 2015. 
60,000 forms of ETF 2015. So they really know what they're doing with this. They have the best selection, best prices, and the customer service is fantastic. So go to silencershop.com. Again, that is silencershop.com. All right. You'd think if you're on the way to Mexico, to Puerto Vallarta, Puerto Vallarta, whatever, uh, you are ready to party, probably. You'd think that you'd be in a good mood. But things are so toxic right now with our political discussions that a United Airlines pilot felt the need to get on the intercom. This was just from yesterday from a flight from San Francisco to Puerto Vallarta to tell everybody basically chill out. Here's the audio. Play. We're going to be in a metal tube at 35,000 feet to bring up politics. Okay, I understand everybody has their opinions. That's fine. If you support him, great. If you don't, I understand. However, we're out here to go to Puerto Vallarta. We're to be having a good time. And what I do ask is that as people, we have the common decency to respect each other's decisions and to get along on this three-hour and 13-minute flight so that we can have a good time when we get down there. Nobody wants to argue. Nobody wants to. Nobody's going to change their minds by yeah. arguing. So you get the idea. Our- Everyone just needs to be cool. There's no need to argue in public about this stuff, especially when you're about to get on a plane. Stuff can get heated. Gosh, somebody kicks my seat from behind on a plane, and I, I start to get pretty, uh, pretty barbarian-like in my mindset. I hate when people kick my chair. I hate it. Uh, you certainly don't want to be arguing politics. This is like when I see people, and they're like, Buck, what do you think about the election? I'm like, ah! You want to know what I think about the election? I do this three-hour radio show every day. Uh, it's free to download. Check that out, because right now I want to sit here and talk about eating the latest quinoa and chicken salad from down the street. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. I think we can prepare for a constant series of media freakouts for the entirety of the Trump presidency. I think that is a uh, likely situation, meaning that everything he does is going to be the worst thing that the worst thing imaginable. Pretty much. They're just going to uh, hammer home that narrative in every way that they can at all times. Uh, Even yesterday, what was it? You had reporters all upset because Trump ditched the press pool to go have a steak dinner with his family here in New York. Play play clip two. His press pool was given a lid for the evening, which normally suggests that Donald Trump isn't going anywhere. He's sticking around Trump Tower. But Trump apparently had other plans. He decided to go out to dinner without alerting some of his key staffers as well as the press. And... It appears to be yet another misunderstanding of exactly how much gravity his new title as president-elect holds. You know, if, God forbid, something were to happen to him, that is a matter not only of public record, but also a matter of national security. Yeah, I went out for a steak with his family, and I'm sure the Secret Service was with him. He's in New York. He's, he's fine, all right? Just everybody, everybody just calmed out a little bit. This is what I mean. Just hysteria all the time. Oh, my gosh. Trump's such a racist. Oh, my gosh. He left behind the press people. Oh, my God. 
I don't know. It's maybe it's a, I, I told you a story about I knew the family a little bit growing up. A lot of people here did. I mean, Trump's been around forever. He's got a lot of kids, so around my age, I knew one of them well. This is just not. It's not as it's not as uh, much a, an alternate universe as, as the press wants to believe that it is. This is just not that crazy, and and they need to. Ch- they really just need to chill. I wish I could get them to just chill because there are some very important discussions that we should be having as a country Um, there are some very important issues that i think donald trump his candidacy whether he's the best spokesperson for it or not or whether he said things that uh, are uh, considered to be over the line or beyond the pale or foolish or whatever there are there are issues that his candidacy has raised and now his his victory raises them even more of course because now he has the Ability to do something about them should he choose to do so. And that's, I mean, the the press should be focused on informing the public about issues that matter and about what's going on and the squabbling from within the inner circle, you know, squabbling based on unnamed sources that have, you know, some sort of access to the Trump transition or whatever. This is not the most important story in the country, except that journalists are already looking for payback, I can tell. They just want to take down this president before he even becomes president. I mean, I think they, there are some of them who really believe maybe they can get him to abdicate and, and Mike Pence will just take over. And yeah, they don't like Pence either, but he, he doesn't offend their sensibilities in quite the same way. He doesn't say things that drive reporters up the wall. He just says things that make them think that he's also a sort of, you know, Neolithic era or Cro-Magnon or whatever bigot, you know, just some evil, vile person. Uh, but he doesn't do it in a way. He doesn't use language that makes people have to worry about what they're going to tell their children at night. Really? First of all, who has like who who's five year olds are staying up late watching the presidential debates? I mean, maybe I guess, but I, I would think that most five year olds probably watch other things. Um, I don't know. I don't have any five year olds. So here we are. Focus so much on what the latest uh, bashing of, of Trump is. And, and I am going to start to take the, take the position of, you know, we need to bash back. This, it's just too much. We're, we're sick of it. And the fact that, oh, by the way, I, I really do want to do some kind of a running tally. This is just a thought that's popped into my head. And I know it's a little bit off the, the specific topic. But I want to know, and I can't wait. I want to see what the donations to the Clinton Foundation are in 2017 and what the speaking fees that Bill Clinton gets paid in 2017 turn out to be. Because, you know, there was this pretense all along that the, the media was like, oh, the Clinton Foundation, it's a charity. They do charitable work. There's nothing, nothing sketchy going on. I will just love to watch them defend the Clinton Foundation when it becomes clear that it was what we've said all along. It was a slush fund. It was a, uh, a, a giant pool of money amassed under the auspices of doing good when it was really all about making sure the Clintons were doing well. It's not the same thing. And the Clintons and their cronies, of course. Uh, Oh, by the way, I see that Trump is considering, jumping around on a few things here, Trump is considering Ted Cruz for attorney general. Hmm. Wouldn't that be interesting? I I do believe that Trump pulling in people, even those who have a tremendous amount of, uh, shall we say, spirited exchange with him during the primary contest, I think that bringing people into his administration this way would be a wise move. I think that it would be useful. I think it would be helpful. Um, and, and I would like to see that happen. Remember, Obama brought in Hillary to be Secretary of State. 
Ted Cruz as attorney general. Sounds good to me. I think that would make a lot of sense. There's some other picks that I like too, but see, I'm speaking so much about the transition. There's also this, this uh, report out and this from the New York post. So take it for what it's worth that they're considering creating a list of Muslim immigrants, a sort of one stop, well, not one stop shop, but one place, one rep- single repository uh, for all Muslim immigrants into the country. And perhaps there'll be some ideological tests or some other things that will be uh, considered as, as a result of, of this. Um, you know, this is just it's early stage. But one, one thing that I think is, is so fascinating is that in this country, the idea of additional scrutiny, uh, additional scrutiny for Muslim immigrants, because they're specifically coming from countries that are uh, producing a disproportionate share of global terrorism, right? Terrorism that is ideological and uh, global in scope and can hit anywhere at any time and just seeks to create mass carnage and destroy the sort of international system in which we currently live. It does come disproportionately from a number of countries. Those countries are predominantly Muslim. And just the mere discussion of this issue is supposed to be a huge symbol of Islamophobia. And this is uh, this is once again one of the issues where, and I was saying this all along during the campaign, Trump does better. Trump did better than Hillary on this aspect of national security. He's willing to say what anybody who reads a newspaper, watches the TV, will say, which is, you know, there are too many terrorists coming out of the Muslim world. There are just too many. There's there's a problem. Oh, oh no! I'm gonna. I wanted to catch on fire. What have I said? It's so terrible. Doesn't mean all. Doesn't mean most. Doesn't mean you cast aspersions on everybody from a place. But there are too many. How do we deal with the problem? There's too much jihadism in the world. Um, And notice how much more coverage white nationalism has gotten in the media in the last couple of weeks instead of jihadism as the forces of jihad are engaged in unimaginable cruelty and brutality in their last stand in Mosul, their continued uh, their, their continued acts of savagery in Syria and in other satellite uh, ISIS organizations around the world. But no, let's talk about white uh, or let's talk about the alt-right and white nationalism. This, white nationalism means what exactly? I also I know I'm bouncing around, but this is just the way I feel today about this stuff. I've got more to say than I have time to say it. What does that even mean? It means that there's no longer going to be that people will push back against affirmative action, that there should no longer be, as was written about in a Supreme Court, a recent Supreme Court case, a racial entitlement state, that there shouldn't be the government should not be affording people special privileges, additional privileges because of skin color or because of their acceptance into or position within some sort of aggrieved identity group, which extends well beyond the initial recipients of affirmative action, which were supposed to be African-Americans. Now it's, you know, Pacific Islanders. What have we done to the Pacific Islanders? Oh, the British colonialism, terrible stuff. Okay. So I guess Pacific Islanders too. Uh, You would think that affirmative action was for making up for previous wrongs. It would be limited to that, but of course it's not. And then when you point that out, you're called a bigot, you're called a racist. And when you're told that there should be more of a focus on Americans and less of a focus on non-Americans who want to come here, that's is that uh, a pernicious nationalism? That's a destructive 
concept that the government of this country should privilege its citizens above people from other countries who are not citizens, who are not subject to federal law, who are not subject to our system of taxation or the draft, and aren't a part of our very large and ruckus but real political family. This is a revolutionary idea. This is a radical idea now. This is what? This is white nationalism? That the U.S. government should take care of American citizens as a priority over non-citizens? That the U.S. government should enforce laws against illegal immigration because illegal immigration in the aggregate is both lawless and it is, uh, is, is lawlessness on its face, and it's also harmful to people who are citizens in this country, including recent immigrants who came legally through the system. The left has just gone off the rails. I mean, this is really what you've seen here. Now, when they're, they're pushing for things, they are automatically falling into a sort of state of hysterics because it's not reasonable what they're saying. It's not reasonable what they want. They expect what? Most of white working class America to sit around and be constantly lectured about how they're too lazy to do the jobs that immigrants will do. And they expect that there won't be some sort of a pushback. There are winners and losers in this uh, system of globalization you know, that's changing our economy all the time. There are winners and losers. And people who are losing are those who are showing up to do a job that would have paid them reasonably well 20 years ago and barely pays them now. Maybe they're part-time. And the government, meanwhile, is you know paying for uh, illegal immigrants. They want to give illegal immigrants Obamacare. They want to give illegal immigrants federal uh, welfare benefits. I mean, why? But that's the... Where is the white nationalism? I just want to know, where is the white nationalism? And I don't want someone to point me to a number of anonymous Twitter accounts. As I, as I said to you, analysis of this has shown that it's a very small number of Twitter accounts that are spewing out a huge proportion of the sort of vile stuff that's making the rounds on Twitter and Facebook and wherever. So if it's really going to be anonymous, and by the way, how much of that do you think, given that we've already had one racial hoax uh, with regard to, uh, not racial hoax, uh, religious hate crime hoax with this woman in what was it louisiana or mississippi or I forget where says she was attacked by guys you know dressed as trump supporters <laughs> yeah that's right you see a guy with a make america great again hat on you better run because ooh, it's so scary but they're throwing on this term white nationalism i mean they're they've done so much and when i say they i mean the media and yeah this administration too they have done so much to worsen relations between people of all different races in this country to worsen the relationship between uh, people of all the different sort of parts of the economic stratum. Whether it's Occupy Wall Street or Black Lives Matter, you see over the last eight years, it's just constant agitation. I mean, it's really very sort of Marxist and revolutionary in feel. It's just the constant malcontents running around, getting attention, and then those who are supposed to be our betters, who are supposed to explain to us what's happening in this country, they then stand in front of us and make excuses for the worst of the malcontents and explain the benefits and the the righteousness of the sort of overall amorphous mass of the malcontents. 
whether they're kicking in windows in Portland or burning down buildings in Ferguson. And people are sick of it. I'm sick of it. I want to sit around and I would like to have a discussion about, and I don't mean we can discuss whatever we want here on the show, but I'd like the national discussion to be, why isn't healthcare ever getting cheaper? Everything else gets cheaper. Healthcare doesn't get cheaper. Healthcare is more expensive. You know, you know, you, how is it possible that an MRI today costs the same as an MRI 10 years ago, 30 years ago? Why is this, why is this happening? Why can't this get better? What's stopping it? Fixing problems. It's fascinating, isn't it? Progressives pretend that government is there to fix all of the problems that are out there. And yet they don't want to fix problems. They just want to talk about problems. They want to create problems. They want to be mad. They want to be upset. They want to be angry. They want to cry. They want to stage walkouts and sit-ins and cry-ins and blah. So, yeah, with this stuff, I am with Trump. And everybody that's upset about this, too, and feels like Trump might at least be a battering ram to break some of this crap down, I'm with him, too. The media is appalling right now. We'll go to a break. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at theblaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton. On the Blaze Radio Network. Full lines are open, team. The next hour, we'd love to take some calls. 888-900-3393. Really fantastic journalism in the Daily Mail on whether Trump is going to change his hair or not. Gotta say, man changes his hair. It's a big deal. It's uh, like a change in persona. He may get rid of the Trump comb over, the Daily Mail is reporting. I find that hard to believe. He could go slick back like his two sons, um, which is a very sort of like 80s banker, you know, Wall Street look, I think. It's very Gordon Gecko. Uh, I don't see that. Ha- I, I don't see Trump ever changing his hairstyle. I feel like that's it, it would be like Sam- Samson having his locks trimmed or whatever, shaved off. I just don't see it happening. So while it's interesting to think of what the Donald's new hairstyle would be, and I know you're like, Buck, really? Well, yeah, we only have like 30 seconds, so I can't do it. Super serious news story right now. We're going to do more politics and then NATSEC and then college craziness and lots more coming up. Hour two, back in a few minutes. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to the hut. We are joined now by our friend Guy Benson. He is the political editor at townhall.com. He's also a Fox News contributor, author of End of Discussion. Mr. Benson, great to have you. Hey, Buck, how's it going? You know, just trying to, like, get acclimated to the... To the new new uh, regime, so to speak. <laughs> Hopefully, that's a well, so to I, speak. 
I was at a, a small meeting this morning uh, with Paul Ryan and a number of conservative-leaning journalists, and it was all off the record, so I can't get into any of the specifics, but I think that was the general sense in the room of like, wow, okay, um, we have united, unified Republican government. <laughs> like, like where this came from is uh, anyone's guess, um, because the one insight, this was not from... Paul Ryan, this is from uh, one of the other journalists, is saying his top sources at both the RNC and the Clinton campaign were convinced even at, you know, nine o'clock at night on election night that she was going to win. I mean, there was neither side saw this coming, but here we are. And here here we are. A lot of reporting on the transition, uh, the transition process and how much infighting there is. It seems to me, Guy, that, that there, there has been no break at all in, in the overall desire of the media to do everything in their power to just, just slam Trump at every other. There was not even like a two-day respite from this. They just continue on with uh, he's in over his head, he's a racist, he's a buffoon, all this stuff. And the transition team process is something that they're using as, as a continuation of that, it seems. Right. And that's, I think, part of the danger, because I think he will make mistakes and do bad stuff as president, and he will need to be held accountable and called out for those things. But the media and the left has cried wolf so many times, not just during this campaign, but over many years. I mean, a lot of the same attacks and smears they employed against John McCain and Mitt Romney, they kind of recycled the playbook against Trump. And I think just a lot of people are tired of hearing it. That it, it doesn't register with them anymore. And rather than engaging in some self-reflection and maybe picking battles or whatever, I mean, it seems like they want to just keep going with their same playbook that just failed them in an historic fashion last week. Um, and if that's what they're going to do, I mean, that they seem intent on being uh, marginalized and rendered more and more irrelevant in the minds of a lot of people. And I do think one of the benefits of Trump, and you know, you know how I feel about Trump generally, and my my thoughts on his knowledge and character and temper, uh, temperament, none of those things have changed. Um, but you know, I'm not blind to some of his positives. One of which is I think he would sign good stuff into law. Uh, whereas Hillary Clinton would not, and he's got a great opportunity right out of the gate on a Supreme Court pick, which is hugely important. That's one of the things I'm happiest about, most excited about, if he, and, I, and I do hope he keeps that promise. But he has an ability, obviously, to go over the head of the press and to attack the press. Pretty, I mean, They attacked him, and he attacked them right back. And part of what his supporters really loved about him was he's going to be a fighter, and he's going to fight every step of the way. And, and sometimes I thought he fought stupidly. I thought he picked wrong battles. I thought he overstepped and did things. But the fact of the matter is it worked. And he is going to have an ability as a president to kind of speak to the country, not necessarily as a conservative Republican, but as like Donald Trump, you know, the brand, like the Donald Trump branded presidency and just say, you know, this is this is what we need to do for Americans and these these lying these lying people in the press, you know they've been they've been wrong about everything. They lied about me and attacked me during the campaign. They're lying about me now, but I'm doing what I promised to get done, 
and you elected me. I, I think that's a pretty powerful message. Now, do you think that there obviously a, a part of the reaction in the media that we're seeing after the Trump uh, the Trump victory is from the sort of shock and disbelief of it all. But also, I'm getting a sense, and I wanted your take on this, that there's an anxiety in some quarters that some parts of, of the mainstream press realize that uh, they don't have quite the same sway as perhaps they thought they did. They went all in on Hillary, and it wasn't enough mm-hmm. to get her elected. And they're probably, I mean, I know there's been some talk about whether there would even be press credentials for certain organizations, uh, but they're probably not going to have the access that they think they should have, never mind that they have with the Obama administration, to a Trump presidency. And I, I, if I were Trump, i got to say, I'd probably feel the same way. Yeah. I mean, they, like the New York Times and NBC News and some of the other outlets, they should all, of course, have press credentials to the White House. I mean, when, when the Obama administration attempted, especially early on in 2009, to try to shove Fox News out of sort of the legitimate realm of, of the media and, and ostracize them and treat them differently, a lot of the other outlets stood up for them, uh, or for us, I should say, as I work at Fox. And I think conservatives very rightly went nuts uh, with that approach from the Obama administration, and I don't think it would be wise for the Trump administration uh, to try that in the other direction. But I absolutely agree with you that there is a concern among especially the establishment, like old-school press, that recognizes more than ever and, and are reacting badly to the reality that they went to the wall to defeat Donald Trump and they failed. Um, and in the case of the New York Times, not only were they all in against him, they also took the unusual step of endorsing in a bunch of Senate races all over the country. I mean, New York Times is ostensibly a New York paper, but they were endorsing the Florida Senate race, the Missouri Senate race, North Carolina, all over the place. And most of those people that they endorsed also lost. Uh, you know, the Republicans holding the Senate by a four-vote majority is just sort of uh, breathtaking. Um, unto itself in the House, majority barely dented at all for Republicans. I mean, this was a decisive, not just a blow for Trump. Uh, he ran behind many Republicans all over the country, if you look at the margins. This was a, a very powerful rejection of the left, a very powerful, comprehensive rejection of the left. And we haven't even talked about the state level. The governors, state legislatures, I mean, they are decimated. And the, and the American people have had their say the press has been on one side of this cultural battle for years and years and years, and a lot of people were fed up with it. I mean, actually, not to get too self-promotional here, but I really think our book, End of Discussion, is more relevant than ever because we talked about when you are shaming and bullying people for simply disagreeing and trying to really silence them and, and declare them de facto evil – you are going to build up a lot of resentment, and eventually there's going to be a backlash, and holy hell was there a backlash. I have to say, even for the Clinton campaign, claiming that FBI Director Comey was <laughs> was responsible for their defeat, yeah. not only do, do yeah. I have a hard time believing that, but I see my main man Bernie Sanders had a, <laughs> had a difficulty swallowing that explanation from the Clintons. It just seemed so... So petty and so low, and yet another thing to add on to the pile of, I'm really glad Hillary's not president. Whatever people think about Trump, I'm really glad it's not Hillary. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just, I, I'm not someone who wants to 
revel in other people's pain. I think that can be mean, and, you know, elections are hard fought. There's a lot of people in the country who are deeply disappointed and frightened about Trump, and I don't want to, you know, tell them that none of their concerns are valid. But I will say that last Tuesday, Donald Trump helped, helped make Schadenfreude great again, um, because there were so many little details that have leaked out. Like, for example, the New York Times reported that the Clinton campaign was so overconfident that they were drinking champagne on Election Day. They thought they had this thing in the bag and started the celebration early, and that was a mistake. <laughs> and and it, is, it, it is also just deeply gratifying that Hillary Clinton can finally be held accountable for her constant career of lies and corruption and self-dealing and obfuscations and gutlessness it finally came home to roost for her on a sort of a personal ethical level and then also she spends these debates saying i want to appoint judges who are going to be you know reliable leftists and limit the first amendment limit the second amendment ensconce unlimited abortion all this all this stuff that really scared me on the courts donald trump said i'm going to do the opposite i love scalia and whether, whether I fully believed him or not, he said it consistently over and over again and made that promise. And the American people had their say. And hats off to the Senate Republicans and Mitch McConnell for actually sticking to that Biden rule on Merrick Garland and blockading that thing under Joe Biden's uh, precedent. And now that the American people had their say, and we're going to hopefully get a justice in the mold of Scalia to replace Scalia. I mean, there's no way, no matter how critical you might be of Donald Trump, and I have been, if you're a right-of-center person, the idea that Barack Obama and or Hillary Clinton will be denied the opportunity to replace Antonin Scalia on the Supreme Court, that is just a straight-up win. So there are some real positives here. I mean, I mean Guy, I appreciate you being willing to, to state them because I know you've, you've had more than your share of, of trepidation at a, at a Trump victory. But there are, clearly, there are some things that are good, other than just Hillary losing and the people popping <laughs> champagne now having sad faces. That's a, separate, that's a separate part of all this. But there will be some things that happen as a result of a Trump presidency that well, I think all conservatives would have to say are a good thing. That's right. And, and going back to, we, we began the segment, I mentioned this off-the-record meeting with Paul Ryan this morning, and I, I'm not going to repeat anything that he hasn't said publicly, but when the Speaker has come out and said that the plan is to hit the ground running in 2017 with a Republican House, Republican Senate, Republican President, uh, he's not joking. They have some plans in place with three or four priorities that they want to get rolling on immediately, and these are things that would have never, ever, ever seen the light of day in a Hillary Clinton administration, period. And they have at least, some of them have a chance of becoming law under a President Trump. And so, you know, the, the whole infrastructure of the Republican Party does not disappear, and the conservative movement does not disappear because Donald Trump isn't a traditional conservative, which he, of course, absolutely is not. He wants to give, and he's, and he's said this, he wants to give a lot of policy leeway to the Paul Ryans of the world, the conservatives who have been, you know, fighting in the trenches for a long time and finally see an opportunity to see this stuff enacted. And I, the fact that you're going to have Ryan's previous right there, you're going to have Mike Pence right there, for all the worrisome signs and worrisome things, like there are absolutely, I wouldn't even call them silver linings, there are big, bright spots here that everyone who is right of center can unify around and be excited about. 
And now going into uh, what's going to obviously be a, an interesting period here with the o- Obama lame duck presidency, it's already, at least to me, been made been made very clear that that there's this expectation that the powers that the media thought that were great that that Obama had had for the last eight uh-huh. years, uh, now that they have passed into Trump's hands, they are becoming. Uh, you know, they are rediscovering the Constitution. They are rediscovering yep. checks and balances. They are, uh, and they're even trying to say that for continuity of government uh, purposes, whatever that means, and it makes it sound like there's like been a you know nuclear first strike and we don't have a government anymore. But you know what I'm saying? For for the purposes of government continuity, he shouldn't undo the executive orders of President Obama, and for him to do no. so would be irresponsible. Oh, no. so now not only you know is it is it Supreme Court victories that the left likes are enshrined forever and can't be overturned, but executive orders that they like are supposed to never be overturned. Well, and that's complete nonsense, um, and it's totally wrong. And this is what conservatives argued throughout the Obama years. We said, guys, you may not be in power forever, and you may like the things that he's currently doing with this executive overreach. But if this ends up in the hands of someone that you don't like, it's going to be scary for you. And the problem is they're going to point back over and over again to the Obama president, the Obama rule, whatever you want to call it. And so and we also argued, so that's point one, that's been vindicated. Point two that we argued was live by the executive order, die by the executive order. If you aren't going to do the hard work of governance, Obama was infamously bad at trying to strike deals and reach across the aisle and even just foster relationships even within his own party, if you're not going to do all that stuff and you're going to sit there with your phone and your pen and just try to impose stuff, if there's a Republican elected president, they can come in and just take out that same pen and strike strike these things down immediately. And a big part of what you thought might be a lasting bureaucratic legacy can be partially or even substantially erased very, very rapidly, and Barack Obama has one person to thank for that, and his name is Barack Obama. Yeah, there was no consensus building. I mean, this is this has to be uh, a, a part of the Obama administration that that the left uh, understands is not really up for debate or discussion. There was no there was no major bipartisan legislation. There was no real reaching across the aisle. It was Obama's way or the highway whenever he could do it. End of discussion. Exactly. And the other thing. As we move forward in this new Congress, the Senate, of course, is going to be a challenge in a lot of ways because there's 52 votes as a majority, and you can do some stuff via reconciliation, but you can't do everything, certainly, uh, through reconciliation. And the Democrats will all of a sudden love that filibuster again. But if you're the Senate Democrats, you also recognize, okay, there's 52 Republican senators right now, but if you look at that map for 2018, and I, and I hate to already be talking about the next election, But the map in 2018 is really, really tough for them, where they have incumbent senators that will be defending seats in places like West Virginia and Indiana and Montana and North Dakota and Virginia and Wisconsin and, I believe, 10 states that Donald Trump won. And so, you know, if you're a a Heidi Heitkamp or a Joe Manchin or whatever, are you going to sit there and try to filibuster – judges or poor border security or, uh, you know, Obamacare repeal and replacement. I mean, this, these are going to be some difficult decisions for Democrats who are looking at what just happened in 2016 and then realizing midterm electorates tend to be more heavily Republican. 
and say, oh my gosh, you know, I could be I could be an ex senator very soon if I don't have a robust bipartisan record to defend. Um, they're going to have to make some calculations, and national Democrats may not like the decisions that they end up making, but they've got to look out for themselves, and that could lead to a lot of very interesting power politics for those whatever it would be eight to ten potentially vulnerable Democrat senators. All right. Guy Benson is townhall.com's politics editor. He's also author of End of Discussion and a Fox News contributor. Guy, great to have you. We'll have you back soon. Have a good day. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Team phone lines open 888-900-3393. We will be right back. Buck Sexton. Dispensing the truth. On the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Team, let me tell you a little bit about Super Beets, our sponsor this half hour. Look, beets are a nutrition goldmine. They're rich in vitamins, minerals, electrolytes, and dietary nitrates. Dietary nitrates convert to nitric oxide in the body, which is the secret to it working. Now, you can get the benefit of three whole beets in just one teaspoon of Super Beets with no beet taste. I've had this stuff. I'm telling you, it is delicious, and it is potent. Uh, you know, you check this stuff out. You'll see for yourself. It is absolutely worth giving it a shot. Super beets are better than regular beets and beet juice because they are specific, they're specially grown. They're non-GMO, and they are protected by a light drying process, which is also the secret to why it tastes so darn good. So please call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeets.com. Get a 30-day supply free. It comes with your first order and is backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free shipping on your entire order. You'll love the results you feel with your first free canister, guaranteed, or your money back. So go call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com, 800-311-4367, or teambuckbeats.com. Again, teambuckbeats.com. Check it out. Uh, and uh, please do, 800-311-4367. Um, I mistimed this so that I thought I was basically going to finish it right when the sound, the music was going to come on. But that was our sponsor for this half hour, Super Beats. We're going to talk to uh, Heather Wilhelm here in a second about some campus craziness that's been going on. Uh, people are freaking out, in case you didn't know, about the Trump election in new and exciting ways. We'll get into that, plus some national security in hour three. Much more coming. Stay with me. The Bug Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Heather Wilhelm of National Review and The Federalist, where she is a senior contributor, joins now. Heather, good to have you. What's going on? Hi, Buck. It's a beautiful day down here in Texas. Beautiful day here in New York City. Beautiful day across America. Dare I even it say is, it's really. <laughs> morning in America, Heather? We'll see. We'll see if that's it is, true. And, and the media are freaking out. They are in total flip-out mode. 
Um, first, I, I want to ask you about you know Harry Reid. There's this uh, there's this idea out there, which is even being pushed by Harry Reid, who's really among the lowest of a low uh, of all politicians in this country. He says that there's been a surge in hate crimes. Play it. Not only did that man who lost the popular vote win the election, but his election sparked a rise in hate crimes, threats of violence. <clears throat> Since Election Day, the Southern Poverty Law Center has reported hundreds of incidents of harassment and intimidation. Last count, 315 from their calculations. Overwhelmingly, the hateful acts of anti-Muslim, anti-Hispanic, anti-African-American, anti-woman, anti-LGBT, anti-Semitic, and anti-Asian. So they're saying that Trump's election has resulted in all these hate crimes. First of all, can we we know there have been a few hoaxes already. One prominent one ABC News reported on yesterday where someone just reported an attack of a Muslim woman didn't happen. Why do we never get to hear what these acts are if they are so horrific? And why does no one seem to care that they inflate the numbers? You know, it's it's interesting. And and I've in the past week, it's been fascinating to see the media sort of process the Trump election, which I think is. It's pretty fair to say that they didn't see it coming. And instead of, you know, looking at themselves and saying, you know, what did we miss? What, what did we get wrong here? How could we be so out of touch with uh, what was pretty clear to a lot of people across America? Instead, they're panicking, double down, uh, doubling down. And if you look at the flurry of stories that have come out in the past week, it's, it's incredible. It's almost like the media is trying to make people want to ignore them and tune them out which is a real problem because then when there actually is a crisis, when there actually is something where the media is important, they've lost their credibility. Um, you know, David Harciani has a great piece in The Federalist today talking about these hate crime statistics. And I, and I think there's, there's another interesting point here. You know, Donald Trump, to his credit, you know, went on that 60 Minutes interview and he said, you know, to the camera, if there are, if there are, if there's this sort of thing going on, stop it, right? And CBS took a lot of heat for holding that for two days. He said it on Friday, and, and the, the interview aired on Sunday. And, of course, you know, there's been some violent protests from Hillary Clinton supporters or, you know, just anti-Donald Trump uh, uh, movements. So there's, you know, it, it's a mess, and, and, I, and I don't think the media is exactly covering themselves with glory as to the, as how they're handling it. You know, I thought that especially after there was the uh, Salzburger note to readers essentially saying we promise we're going to be journalists again because we know that we that's that's been a joke during this election uh that maybe they would sort of go through at least the motions of returning to big news organizations but what what i see from and i mean from the sort of flagship journalism institutions and, and organizations in the country the new york times washington post and others uh is is just the continued uh, barrage of anything to destroy Trump. No level of hyperbole is too much. No exaggeration is too grotesque. No, you know, they just they are still in a complete frenzy about this as though Hillary didn't just lose and they're not going to have. Do you, I mean, do you think they're going to, you know, are they going to sort of just freak themselves out until they pass out? I mean, are they going to eventually get a little tired of this or this is going to go on for four years? You know, it was funny because I was thinking to myself after Trump won, I, I thought, you know, I wonder now if now that Hillary has lost, now that she does not have the presidency and does not have the chance to have the presidency, are some of these people who were really go-go, Hillary Booster's going to quietly admit, you know, that, you know, I, I really didn't like her that much after all, <laughs> you know, because she's an incredibly unlikable 
character. And what's been hilarious is to see them, like you said, doubling down over the past week. There's been some amazing pieces. I mentioned one in my latest uh, or, or my week ago piece from National Review talking about how, you know, Hillary lost because she's a woman. It's all about sexism. There was a ridiculous piece today um, by Virginia Heffernan, or no, it was yesterday. And it literally compared Hillary Clinton to Athena. And <laughs> I mean, they're just doubling down. And what's what's really stunning about this is there are some real lessons to be learned from this election. And I'm trying to keep my eyes open and learn them. But I, it seems like the media is in such a frenzy that they can't stop, look, listen and say, OK, how are we going to actually figure out what's going on moving forward? And how can we keep our credibility? I mean, people are just going to stop listening. I, I think that there's there's nothing that the media could do to more gratify uh, a majority of Trump voters than just say Trump won because racism. I right. think that that plays right into why a lot of people voted for Trump, despite all the non-conservative, all, all, all the stuff that we've, you've talked about, ever, we've talked about, everyone's talked about Trump's you know, imperfections, we could call them. Uh, but they voted for Trump anyway, and with the entirety of the sort of national media saying that it was just because of racism and white nationalism, which, by the way, I, I never see it really defined. Would you care to what is what what qualifies as white nationalism? Do, do you have a, a, a sort of a working definition that you use? Because I'm not clear. I mean, if white nationalism is the white working class feeling like illegal immigration is a problem and identity politics work against them. Well, they're correct in both of those in both of those assessments. Identity politics do not favor them because they don't have affirmative action, any number of other policies. And illegal immigration does hurt primarily unskilled workers. So what's the problem? Well, and, and, and look, here's what's been driving me crazy about all of this is that it, all of a sudden Hillary Clinton has been elevated to this perfect, just, wondrous candidate, right, who could only have lost because of sexism or because the other side is racist. And uh, I was actually looking, I was scrolling back through some of my uh, coverage over the past year, because, again, like I said, I'm trying to learn as well. And a theme that I pounded again and again and again is that Hillary Clinton is a terrible, terrible terrible candidate. She's spectacularly bad. She was spectacularly bad. And I think that that's a real problem with the media coverage right now, too, is not taking a good look at, hey, maybe we lost because Hillary Clinton <laughs> was our candidate, you know? Um, so that I think that's a huge blind spot. And instead, it's turning into this, A, hero worship, right? B, reversion to the old racism, sexism, because that's the only thing we have a problem. That's the only thing we can toss out. But then in the process, they're insulting you know what? How many people voted for Trump? Sixty million. Um, calling them all racist. Yeah, that's 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 really effective. That's going to be great for the country. Um, I have to ask you about this piece just based on the title alone you have here on the Federalist dot com. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the Federalist. They do great stuff. I know you're a senior contributor there. Uh, no, this is your title. No ecosexuals. Mother Nature does not want to have sex with you. Um, <laughs> uh, please explain. You know, I, I wrote that piece right before the election, and I, I figured everyone could use a bit of a diversion. But yes, so there is a movement uh, going on right now in real life by serious people who are employed uh, at places like universities, and uh, they want to make love to the earth. And <laughs> they think treating the earth like a mother is passe. Um, you need to treat the earth like a lover. And that can be figuratively or that could be literally. So... Uh, this is a movement of people 
who are hosting gallery events. They're hosting carnivals. They're hosting, there was a big event in Sydney dedicated to these people. And one thing I said in my, in my piece, and I always wonder this, is like, how come we can't all do this for a living? I mean, doesn't it sound kind of fun? I mean, be able to get paid where you fly off to Tulum and meditate with a shaman and, and you know, touch the earth lovingly. I, I really think that's a pretty good gig if you can get it. But um, yeah, they're out there and they're real and they're spectacular. Every time I've applied for a shaman gig, I just they say I don't have enough experience, and I tell them, you know, don't let the don't let the poofy side part fool you. There's a lot of there's a lot of shamanistic vibe here, but they don't they don't go for it. And it's really just deep down in your heart, right? I mean, that's where the that's where the inner shaman lives. It's that's really not fair. Yeah, I, I feel like they should. I feel like they shouldn't judge my spirituality just based on the fact that we're boating shoes. Boating shoes can be a sign <laughs> of spirituality too. You don't you don't have to walk around in some sort of weird robe scented of patchouli. So that's how I feel about all of that. Well, I'm glad we got a sense of what the ecosexuals piece uh, was was talking about. What what can we expect from Heather Wilhelm in the next oh few days, the next twelve hours? You tell me. Well, you know, I am going to take the rest of this week to just suck all the madness in and process it. And I'll be back next week with more columns at National Review and The Federalist. Fantastic. You let us know. We'd love to have you back. Heather Wilhelm, everybody, at Heather Wilhelm on Twitter. Heather, thanks for making the time. Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Team, phone lines, they are open. 888-900-3393. Let's talk. Let's hang out. Discuss whatever you want. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show. So from uh, one of my sources, because, you know, like a good human intelligence operator, I run sources all up in this piece. Uh, One of my sources passes along to me this uh, from Fordham Law School here in New York City. As some of you may be aware, several Fordham students are planning a campus-wide walkout at 3 p.m. today in coordination with schools across the country to protest the increase in hate crimes since last week's election result. These hate crimes have targeted the Muslim American community in particular. All interested students should meet in the courtyard between the law school and undergraduate campus, blah, blah, blah. Um, okay. So someone, where, okay, hate crimes. Let's, let's look this up. I want to know, what are they, first of all, they're walking out from their schools uh, and what does that do? The raising awareness? I mean, this is just virtue signaling of the worst kind, meaning that this is to walk outside. They can all feel like, we're fighting the power. We're so bold. We're the best. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to figure out what they think the deal is here that they're going to, what they're going to accomplish. Uh, I'm trying to find some of these hate crimes. Hold on. Um, election night was complicated for Azra Beg. This is from NPR. She's a school board member in South Brunswick, New Jersey. She had signs out on, with her name on them when a friend from her mosque called. Someone wrote ISIS sympathizer on the sign. Um, okay. Uh, this is this is an election where there's been so much nasty stuff said, where friends of mine have received death threats 
many death threats uh, from other alleged Republicans or conservatives or whatever they are because of their either insufficient support for Trump or their criticism of Trump or all of the above. And we're supposed to be having school-wide walkouts, or rather there are school-wide walkouts because... I mean, remember, we've been told hundreds of crimes, according to Harry Reid, who's a liar. Hundreds of crimes. And NPR leads off with someone writing ISIS sympathizer on a sign. Um, That's not a hate crime. It's actually not a crime. It's just a jerky thing to do. It's a jerk move, but what, this is, we're not going to criminalize this. What if somebody... I'm, I'm just, I just want to know. So is it that someone is Muslim and you say they're an ISIS sympathizer? That's now a hate crime. That's a federal crime. Uh, what if they say that they think that ISIS is actually a legitimate organization? Well, then you can say it? Well, I'm confused. When does it become a hate crime and when is it just somebody's opinion about somebody else? I mean, this is these are the sorts of gray areas that we're going to be stumbling into. Look, in this case, I'm sure it's just a woman who had nothing to do with anything. The point I'm trying to make, though, is this is criminalizing speech. When you say that calling someone an ISIS sympathizer, what, what, what is it? Why is that so much worse than someone saying that a Donald Trump supporter is a Nazi? Eleven million people in the death camps started a war that killed 60 million people, six million Jews. Killed in the camps. And it's okay to say that somebody's a Nazi sympathizer because they voted for Donald Trump. But to say that someone's an ISIS sympathizer, this is now a federal, this is literally a federal crime. This is something that we all have to hear about. If Islamophobia wasn't primarily built upon either complete fabrications or minor incidents trumped up to look like much more serious things than they actually were, then I would take it more seriously. That is not the case. Uh, We are not a country of bigots or racists. We have handled some of the horrific terrorist acts in this country, the aftermath of them, incredibly well. Uh, Read up a little bit of what happens in South Asia when, like, a church gets bombed or when when a— you know, when a, Hindu, bombs go off somewhere targeting Hindus and the reaction from the Hindu community towards the Muslim community. I mean, what happens in Nigeria and other countries when these sorts of incidents occur? I mean, here we've actually been a model of tolerance and uh, real tolerance and just rational thinking. Right? We don't hold people responsible for things they did not do. We don't judge people based upon the acts of a very few. But isn't it interesting that to look at the Muslim community and to in any way uh, discuss that there is a disproportionate amount of terrorism that comes from within that community is to cast far too wide a net. But yet the breathless headlines in all the major media outlets right now about Steve Bannon and the alt-right and white nationalism, that's all okay. I just need I need clarification. Why is it all right to call someone a neo-Nazi without just cause? But to call someone an ISIS sympathizer without just cause is a hate crime. This is part of the enti- the racial entitlement, and it's not even racial in this case, it's ideological, it's religious. The entitlement state that's been created for identity politics purposes, that some people have all this special protection, and others have to sit around and get called Nazis and fascists and murderers and baby killers and all this stuff. I'm sick of it. I feel like everyone should be. 
Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, team. Welcome to hour three. Let's do a Buck brief. Hit it. You are entering the Blaze Threat Ops Center. This is a secure space. All outside comms are down. Prepare to receive the Buck brief. Joined now by Adam Crado. He's a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. You can follow him on Twitter at Crado Zero. What's up, Adam? Not too much. How are you, sir? I'm all right. Like I've been telling everybody today, just getting ready to accept that it's Trump's world and we're all living in it. Uh, let's talk. <laughs> let's talk a bit about that, Iran, that is, though, which is going to be uh, partic- real quick. Though uh, I'll mention since you said that, I'm literally watching DC burn from across the river in uh, Arlington, Virginia. It looks like something is on fire uh, right past the Kennedy Center. Uh, having something to do with the protest oh, no, or something? Or are you just saying that something's died. like there's a building on All fire, this is, is like a public safety announcement? Yes, yeah, a public safety announcement. All I see is a plume of black smoke rising up. So okay, well, hopefully, if, you're, if anyone's listening to the Kennedy Center, get to your nearest exit, because we don't know what that is. Yeah, uh, but, that okay, smoke. important safety tip. Thanks, Adam. Now, uh, uh, you know, I like fire safety tips. Yes, indeed. Iran. Uh, Iran yeah. is out there still. That's a thing. Uh, you got a few pieces up on the free beacon. Want to talk to you about House lawmakers to nix Obama admin backed sale of U.S. planes to Iran. What's going on? Well, look, this has been brewing for quite some time. Boeing, uh, almost immediately after the Iran deal was announced, and I think it's worth noting Boeing uh, lobbied in favor of the Iran deal, and now we know why. They've been angling to sell uh, Iran new commercial jetliners uh, in a really multi-billion dollar landmark deal. It's somewhat unprecedented to see them do this, and they want to re-enter that Iranian marketplace. It's very lucrative, particularly since Iran used to buy planes uh, from Boeing and other manufacturers in the late 70s uh, before the Islamic Revolution. So they do have an aging fleet of U.S. planes, and they'd like to buy new ones. The problem with this is that Iran has a history of purchasing commercial airliners and converting them for use in military. And we've seen this recently, uh, the IRGC and uh, other portions of Iran's military apparatus using old Boeing commercial airliners uh, in their air force and uh, using them for illicit operations. Now, the Obama administration says it's obligated under the Iran nuclear agreement to sign off on this sale and grant Boeing the proper licenses. The House is now saying, no, we cannot tolerate this. And they're moving forward with legislation that would essentially ban the administration from granting these licenses to Boeing. And U.S. officials are concerned, another piece in the Free Beacon, as Iran and Russia plan a $10 billion arms deal. Give us the details here, Adam. Exactly. It's interesting, and we should view this in in light of uh, Iran trying to purchase planes that would likely be used 
in its air force. The Iranians um, essentially have been offered a menu, an a la carte menu from the Russians who are saying, look, this is all the military hardware, tanks, uh, airplanes, uh, defense systems, things of this nature that you can buy. It's shaping up to be about $10 billion in equipment and cover all those uh, areas from airplanes to tanks. And this is, look, not really the first deal between the Russians and the Iranians. They've been growing closer and closer. Russia has guaranteed to build at least three new nuclear power plants uh, for the Iranians in the coming years. And Russia's already delivered that S-300 missile defense system. The Iranians have that now. So we're seeing the alliance of really uh, China, Russia, Iran grow closer and closer. An Iranian military leader has threatened President-elect Trump. He's talking smack. What's going on here? He is talking smack, and I actually read this as a sign of weakness uh, from the Iranians. I think that they are pooping their pants to some extent over President Trump, who has said that he's um, willing to be more confrontational with the Iranians, not as willing to put up with the nonsense such as harassing and threatening our ships in the Persian Gulf, in the seas outside Yemen, things of this nature. And uh, this might be a somewhat of testing the waters for the Iranians, see what the reaction is. Um, really, this regime only uh, pays attention to power. And uh, if they hear rhetoric like the Obama administration is used, they're not so willing to back down. But if the Trump administration is willing to kind of actually exert aggression and defend uh, America in face of the Iranians, I, I think that this could really alter the uh, relationship we've had with them over the past eight years of the Obama administration. Now, Adam, and this is a little bit of a, of a switch up from talking about sure. I- Iran and the national security beat, but also on the freebeacon.com. Trump victory sparks mental cr- mental health crisis among de- dejected Dems. We've been yes. discussing this in broad stroke terms here in the show ever since the incredible election night results. Uh, what is, you know, what's sort of your feeling on uh, when is this going to stop or is it going to stop? Are they just going to be uh, upset about this and acting in this mad babyish fashion for the foreseeable? Well, I think you've hit it on the head. It's 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 infantile uh, to a certain extent, and I think that's representative of um, the younger generation, the millennials, if you will, which really have been taught, meaning me, I, 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 I get what I want no matter what. This is what happens when parents give away uh, um, medals for participation rather than emphasizing winning or, or uh, doing well in sports and other functions, uh, it, you know, whatever it could be, a science fair for that matter. Are, are we going to um, win so, so much really- we're going to get tired of winning, Adam? <laughs> right. I mean, I think we could certainly get to that point. But look, this is what the protesters <laughs> believe. I didn't get what I want. I need it. Give it to me. It's very babyish. Um, and hopefully it'll stop. And hopefully they'll stop with the violence because that seems to be what they're turning to. All right. Adam Crato, our friend from the Washington Free Beacon, where he is a senior writer. You guys should follow him on Twitter at Crato Zero. Mr. Crato, yes. great to have you, sir. Have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Always a pleasure, bud. Uh, Denise in Montana, you are on the Buck Sexton Show. Welcome. Well, hello, hello. Hey, Denise. So you see, divine intervention is real. And she lost for all the right reasons. She's a liar and a thief, and they never prospered for very long. The DNC lost because they booed God at their convention. And we humbled ourselves and asked for God's help, and we got it. So, so you think that Trump's victory is an example of divine intervention? No, Hillary's defeat. Oh, Hillary's defeat, okay. Yes, yes. 
But aren't those two things kind of linked? No, not really. Mm-hmm. Not really. But she, you know, she mm-hmm. just stood for nothing that was righteous. Murdering babies, uh, lying and stealing. It's it just, she was no good. But couldn't one make the case then, Denise, to be fair? Couldn't one make the case that Trump was the instrument of her defeat? Well, possibly, but I do believe... I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't my home slice Evan McMullen, I gotta say. Guy didn't really, no, guy didn't really I get the traction. That, but uh, <laughs> Evan McMullen, you know, at least he tried. I have to give him credit. He hey, I, I, I call him my home slice. He's a good guy, I'm just saying. It wasn't... He, yeah. he didn't stop Hillary, let's be real. No, no, he didn't. But uh, when, you, when you do the things against God's nature... Uh, you don't do it very long. He will not be mocked. So, and the and the icing on the cake was when she got it. It was exposed that she was into the satanic worship, which so many of them are, including the Bushes and all of those that well, are. I think that was a the, that was specifically John Podesta, right? Who had that the the spirit cooking yes, or whatever uh, it was. That was I, don't right, know, I, I didn't see that with Hillary, but. Then again, to be in favor of abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy is a pretty... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I, I, I don't exactly think we need to know that. about spirit cooking at that point. I think we know, yeah. we know no, all we need. No, you wouldn't think so. It's sad that it took that to get it over the edge, but it did. And so you, you, uh, ask, you ask believing and you shall receive. So you got it, Buck, and I'm glad to all hear right, Denise. Well, I just want to say uh, God bless, big hug, and shield tie. Thank Thanks. you for calling in. Do we? Oh, I was I was hoping she was going to say something nice back, guys. Let them. No, that's 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 okay. That's okay. Buck needs a hug this afternoon. Uh, sorry, call in and give me the hug that I didn't get from Denise on air. Sorry, that sounded weird, guys. Forget about that. Eight 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 nine zero zero three three nine three. Although I do send you all virtual hugs, um, but we don't need them because we're not a bunch of crybabies who just lost an election. And if we did, even if we did lose the election, we wouldn't need hugs because of that. Because come on, this is America. It's ridiculous. Uh, I'm going to go to a break. I'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, we've got some calls up. Slav in Missouri, what's up? Hey, what's up, Doc? How are you? I'm all right. How are you doing? Shields high. Good. Shields high, brother. Hey, I wanted to mention, uh, I don't know if you talked about this before, but you hear about a CEO from Packet Sled, Matthew Harrigan, that threatened Trump's life on Facebook? No, wait, who? Uh, Matthew Harrigan. He, he was a CEO of a cybersecurity company called Packet Sled. No, I didn't know anything about um, it, actually. No, I didn't oh, hear Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it happened a couple of days ago. If you Google it right now, you'll, you'll see like there's a bunch of news stories coming out about him. Well, he said that he was going to get a sniper rifle and, uh, you know, kill Trump. So well, that, is, ver- that is very dumb and very illegal, yeah. Yeah, it is. So a bunch of people started investigating him, and apparently he has connections to James Woosley, the former head of the CIA. Woolsey? Uh, well, uh, what are those connections? Yeah. I mean, are they, are, they, are they close connections or sort of tan- tangential connections? Uh, well, there's records, uh, the White House records, that he visited the White House a couple times, and uh, he had a Facebook picture with Woosley because uh, they were involved with doing some deals with Packet Sled. And so they met with each other, and there's a picture of them you can find online. And a lot of people think that, you know, this is some kind of, like, intergovernment conspiracy where, like, they use him as a, you know, a fallout um, guy to, um, to assassinate Trump. 
so there's things a lot more to it than just some you know guy from the CL company that threatened him. And this is actually like a real serious threat. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, again, I, I, I know nothing about this, so I'd have to read on it, but mm-hmm. it, it certainly sounds really bad. Yeah, you definitely should read up on it and then do some reporting like maybe tomorrow. and then. Uh, I'll <laughs> yes, sir. Sir, yes, sir. <laughs> no, no, I think, Slav says uh, jump, yeah. Buck says how high. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. That's right. All right, man. But Thanks yeah. for calling in from Missouri. Yeah. I appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Uh, Josh in California, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Buck? Shields high. Shields high. Yeah, I just wanted to call you because uh, I'm part of the, the demographic. I'm in California, of course, and I'm a Republican and I'm a millennial. So people initially, they see, you know, someone my age in California, they assume I'm, you know, part of those crazy kids that are walking out and protesting because Donald Trump won the presidency. Can you speak and a little more into the yeah. phone? Me and everyone else around the country can't really hear you. Yeah, I'm sorry, Buck. There we go. Uh, so what I what I think is the the hypocrisy, and I know you kind of talked about it yesterday. The hypocrisy is just unreal because if you know that if Don, if Hillary Clinton had won the election, and I know it's in the past, but and Donald Trump supporters did that, but we wouldn't because we'd be too busy working. Of course, the left would say that we're inciting civil war, and Donald Trump needs to disavow us. And I just couldn't imagine what would actually be said if Donald Trump supporters had done that. Oh, of course. I mean, look at the way that the media covered the Tea Party versus the way they cover Black Lives Matter. I mean, I think a Tea Party guy at some point, you know, got a, got a ticket for double parking at a rally, and it was like a national crisis. And with Black Lives Matter, there are buildings burning, there are cops getting hit in the face with rocks, and they're like, well, it was mostly peaceful. It's just the double standards are everywhere. And, and I, I don't, look, I don't think the media recovers from that there are people like you and me who pay attention to all this stuff and everybody else listening but those folks who are just sort of going about their day-to-day and picking up a little news here a little news there um i i think even at this point many of them have seen wow this this media is just you just can't trust them they're just liars they just falsify things and they're working for one side and they're pretending to be bringing you facts when they're really bringing you propaganda and i don't think they're ever gonna i don't think there's gonna be a recovery from it it really was different oh, yeah. with Obama. With Obama, they were, you know, they were in love. With Hillary, they were, you know, h- helping cover up the crimes. It's different. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I hear I talk to my sister-in-law and she says, "Oh, Donald Trump is a rapist and he's all this stuff and you don't understand, you don't understand." And I was like, I asked her, "Well, what's her name? When did it happen? How long ago did it happen and was it ever actually followed through with?" And of course, no, I don't know the name. I don't know anything. So you you see a link and then you assume that's the news of the day and that's a true story and that's the problem with a lot of this uh, internet communication that goes on. Is, also, you know, the, why the look? I know that now I'm getting into sort of you know touchy territory, no pun intended. But why is uh, why why would it be considered you know sort of standard for uh, the, all these accusations that come out against Trump? They come out just in the weeks before in the weeks before the general election. None of these women oh, wanted exactly. to come out and, you know, not six months before, not not during the primary, you know, not. No, no. They, they wanted to do it when it would do maximum damage and maximum help for Hillary. I, I'm sorry, but at, at some point people are allowed to say, OK, the timing is a little suspicious, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know what? The good thing that I well, you know, the quote I like to use is finally the buck stopped there. It stopped at Hillary Clinton and she didn't get elected. She lost. 
and hopefully the country can, you know, I, maybe Donald Trump isn't the answer, but maybe he's going to be the battering ram that's going to put us in the right direction. All right, man. I hear you. Josh Shields, hi. Thanks for calling in from Cali. Good to talk to you. Yeah, I used to say on the show, the buck never stops. But then every time we go into a commercial break or the show would end, it kind of felt weird because I was like, the buck never stops. And then I stopped. Um, it felt like false advertising. So I still kind of like it as a phrase, though, because I don't ever really stop. Like the freedom spreading never ends. It's just not necessarily on air. But that's not the same thing. Uh, I'll take another one. Denise, uh, the lines are lit up today. Loving it. Denise in Oklahoma, what's up? Hey, hugs from Oklahoma. Oh, thank you, Denise. Hugs gratefully accepted and sent right back to you. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm all right, thank you. What's on your mind? Well, you know, it was the racism you were talking about. And and to me, I, I got to the point where I, I voted for Trump, but it was more against Hillary than the left because we've been called racist for so long. I, I'm, I'm a widow of a veteran. My late husband was Hispanic. I've never looked at race. I've looked at people and judge people how they are. They've overused racism to the point where if someone calls me a racist, I, it just doesn't affect me because I know my heart and I know what I believe. And I think they've really overplayed it to the point where people rose up and said, no, no, we're not that way. I, Denise, I totally agree with you, and I, I think that's a very powerful sentiment, and I do believe it was part of uh, what led to Trump's rise. Was just, uh, it was just an effort to push back against that idea that we're all, ra- we're all sort of irredeemable racists, and the only way we can begin to redeem ourselves is if we vote Democrat and worship at the progressive shrine. Um, I I reject that, and, and I think it's a really it's a really um, insidious uh, ideology or ideological point to make that everybody is racist, no matter how they act and no matter what they think. Well, what are we supposed to do then? I mean, and this is really what the left teaches people now that if you if you are not a minority, um, you are in fact uh, you're privileged. You have a special privilege, and you need to make up for that privilege. And you can be judged according to your skin color, according to your ethnic background, and you have to make amends, but you better not you know, ever look at anybody else's scans or in any way, positive or negative, because of their skin color, because that would be racist. There's no um, there, there's really no uh, rational thread that you can pull through all of this. It's just a very useful tool for the left to silence people they don't like. And I think I'm with you. I'm sick of it. I, I really don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, yeah, and and the. When Obama won in 08, you didn't see conservatives out, oh, crybaby, you know, we got to protest. This is not our president. We we didn't do that. And and I don't and a lot of these so-called protesters, which I think a lot of it is coordinated. I think Soros is behind some of it. Um, they are actually proving the point of why Trump won. Oh, absolutely. I, I think Trump Trump voters are feeling better and better about their vote with each passing day based on the way that the Democratic Party and the media establishment has reacted to all this, as they should. It, it, I totally exactly. agree with it. And I, I think we won't come back together as a country. I, I don't know. I, I worry, too, Denise. I worry we may be too fractured. Denise, big hug and shields high. Thank you. We're, we're at time now, but I appreciate you calling in. 
Uh, team, wow, show is flying by today. We've got more. Stay right there. Back in a few minutes. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to the Buck Sexton Show. You won't see that much coverage of this, uh, but Obama, who's on this sort of world tour to calm, you know, he, he's going to slow the rise of the seas, and, and he's also going to calm everybody down about Trump's victory. Uh, but Obama's in Greece, and there are a few thousand protesters who uh, showed up, anarchist protesters uh, mostly, and 3,000 of them. They protested Barack Obama's visit, um, and they had to be dispersed with tear gas and stun grenades and such. Uh, I'll try to stop saying and such. It's a crutch phrase. Uh, So stun grenades, tear gas, those sorts of things, probably also a crutch phrase. Uh, But it just goes to show you, we've been told all along that Obama would come into office and there would be this sort of new... This new era of, oh, everything is going to be just uh, great abroad and people will respect us more and there'll be all, all, these, all these good things. All these wonderful things will happen as a result of an Obama presidency around the world. I, I do have to say, I cannot think of one issue other than taking out bin Laden, which I do believe any president under those circumstances would have made that call uh, and also... Honestly, taking out bin Laden was more of a sort of national psychological catharsis than it was a strategic victory. Uh, since bin Laden was taken out, as you know, we've had the rise of ISIS and al-Qaeda is still very much alive and well and a major threat. Uh, but if you look at everything else, you look at all the hot spots around the world, all the places where we've had trouble in the past and continue to have trouble now, I, I can't say that Obama has made anything markedly better. You know, I spent a, a summer in Greece. It's a v- very interesting place. So much of it is wonderful, and there's also some parts of it that really kind of aren't so great you don't hear about. There is a really serious anti-Americanism there. Um, you usually don't get a, a sense of it from the, the tourist areas. And if you go to Santorini or whatever, one of those beautiful islands where they're overcharging you for absolutely everything, you don't get a sense of all the anti-Americanism. But they have this whole history of America and the coup against their government, and they that's there's a deep anger still in some corners in Greece as a result of America and also the way that we tried to uh, use them for our side in the Cold War. But you, you get some very anti American stuff going on there. Uh, and so, other than the fact that Greek food is great and the islands and the beaches and such are sea and such, I gotta drop that are among the most beautiful anywhere in the world. But they've had a rough go of it economically. Um, uh, things don't look like they're getting all that much better anytime soon. Uh, but it's just interesting to see you know, Obama's on this, this sort of world tour to tell everybody, don't worry about what's going to happen under President Trump. And there's Molotov cocktails being thrown in protest of Obama's visit. Uh, there are, just as there are malcontents in our own society who take every opportunity to try and further divide us and tear things down and and to do so under a, a sort of self-declared banner of righteousness. 
there are also malcontents all over the world, and they sometimes need to be met forcefully. Uh, I'm not saying that protesters do necessarily, although they do need police to deal with them. Uh, but the uh, administration coming in, I think, is going to set a very different tone when it comes to dealing with some of the foreign entities out there that would seek to intimidate or bully our friends, our allies, or even the United States in different ways uh, and in different places itself. So I, I have some hope, <laughs> a word I'm using a lot these days, that Trump is going to come into office and is going to take a pretty tough line with countries that are obviously not our friend and regimes and governments that clearly seek to undermine us and our interests We've had now eight years of an extended hand to them while they're slapping us in the face. And this has been called uh, statecraft. This has been called smart diplomacy. Don't do stupid stuff as the Obama administration's uh, not organizing principle. I mean, even Hillary was like, that's not an organizing principle. It's true. You know, don't do stupid stuff. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like saying the world is a dangerous place. Okay, true, but unhelpful. Doesn't mean anything. Uh, don't do stupid stuff is also pretty meaningless when you're talking about international affairs and diplomacy and the sorts of things that a commander in chief should be handling. So I just think it's interesting that Obama's over there in, in Greece and there's all these protests happening. I know people say it's only a small, it's a very small contingent in Greece, but we were told that uh, there would be a new view of the United States because we had elected an African American who, uh, w- you know, was lived in a Muslim country for a while. Uh, and that the Muslim world would view us differently. Not true. Uh, I don't think there's been any real change there. Uh, we've been told a lot of things that were not true. So I think that's also worth keeping in mind. Not only are, there, are, are I think, uh, or do I think they are lying to us about what to expect in a, or at least they're exaggerating what to expect in a Trump administration, uh, they also lie to us about what we would get from, from Obama. And now we can really look back and judge those eight years, and I think clearly we can state that based on the metrics that were put in place by Obama himself, as well as the media that was fawning all over him at the time, uh, he failed on the world stage. Uh, not spectacularly. I mean, we didn't, you know, we didn't get invaded by China. We didn't lose a major war or something like that. But the, all the challenges that he was faced with, his really his, his policy or the Obama doctrine is sort of vote present. It's just be there, talk about stuff, don't do very much, and then say, well, at least I'm not Bush. At least I'm not Bush is not impressive. It's not impressive. 888-900-3393. Back in just a few. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we're very pleased to be joined now by Chris Tonto Peranto. He's a former Army Ranger from 2nd Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment, and private security contractor who deployed throughout South America, Central America, the Middle East, and North Africa. Uh, Tonto was part of the CIA annex security team that responded to the terrorist attack on U.S. Special Mission in Benghazi, Libya, on September 11, 2012. He helped save over 20 lives while fighting off terrorists from the annex for over 13 hours. Mr. Prado's story is told in the book, 13 Hours, 
We are very pleased to have Chris Tonto Peranto joining us now. Chris, thanks for calling in. Hey, buddy. Thanks for having me again. It's good to talk to you. You know, it's been a few weeks since we saw each other, but, you know, always a pleasure, my friend. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to have you. So uh, I just want to ask you, you know, Hillary Clinton's not going to be the next commander in chief. Uh, but you yeah. know, you've written on on your site that that you don't think she she doesn't care about Benghazi, never did, never will. I, and I, I totally believe that. I just with the actions that took place after the fact, um, not even before, you know, not even ignoring the, the request for security, not even even ignoring the ambas- ambassador Stevens's uh, concerns of going to Benghazi because it wasn't a safe place, but. What she did after the, you know, and, and the sound bites, the what difference does it make? It's not my ball to carry. Those sort of things point to me and show that uh, she being sociopathic and not taking responsibility for her actions, which to me means she didn't really care what took place there, even though four people died and 31 people did survive that night. So uh, uh, it, it's just, it's just a, a poor, poor trait. And that's, that's taking it easy. It's a poor trait and it shows a, a definite failure of leadership. And I think we dodged the bullet, especially the military dodged the bullet with her not beginning into the White House. Now, what do you think? Uh, do, you, do, you, do you believe that Benghazi played a role in keeping Hillary Clinton out of the White House? Or do you think that it was more the emails or just that she's a liar? Or uh, how, how did Benghazi factor into it in your estimation, if at all? You know, but yeah, you know what? I, it definitely did because it showed at least that was the spark that lit everything else up. That's my opinion. I think Tig would probably agree with me, John Tigan, the Marine who was with me that night, as well as Boone and Jack, and I think Oz would even say the same, that by us coming forward and not letting basically history being rewritten by the left media, which this election was shown that they were totally on the side of Hillary Clinton, but showing that 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 corruptness was involved, that that there were lies being thrown, that the that the video and the protest did not exist, it did not take place. I think it could have been covered up by us speaking up and saying, "Hey, this didn't happen." I think it may have emboldened others to speak up, but it also lit that fire so that it continued to burn. And then you get the emails coming out. Then you even have more people stepping forward. So I believe that if we didn't step forward, um, others wouldn't have. And then also we wouldn't have the the massive mass exposure of all those emails that came out. And showing that that she was not just a, a piss poor State Department leader, but also a a corrupt individual and a corrupt politician. So yeah, definitely, I think it played a role. How do you feel, Chris? Somebody who wore the uniform and served his country in a variety of capacities around the world uh, on the front lines. How do you feel about the prospect of a Trump commander in chief? Oh, well, and history can show this. Uh, at least recent history can show that whenever a Republican president is in office the military gets more support. So not even just saying, hey, it's Donald Trump, but just saying there is a Republican in office, the military will get more support. That's that's a given. And that's a positive and that's a win within itself. Um, also, I believe Donald Trump, he does support the military. He does support law enforcement. I don't think that's just words. And him not being a politician, I think, does help because you can't have a politician in charge of the military. You can't. Uh, they're they're worried about their careers, they're worried about things down the line, they're worried about their memoirs, their their legacy, because we always heard about Obama's legacy and Hillary's legacy was going to unfold. Legacies don't matter in the military. It's protecting your troops, it's serving, it's also making sure as a leader that you are concerned about the troops' welfare and not concerned about yourself. And and I think, you know, all presidents are going to be egomaniacs in some sort, that's why they're presidents, but... I do believe that Donald Trump is going to be different, and, and I'm hoping he is. If he isn't, brother, believe me, we'll be on the show talking about it again, and I'll hold his feet to the fire, just like I did Hillary Clinton. 
But I, I do think we have the opportunity to have a great commander in chief because he's not a politician. And also being a Republican, I think, that, again, not, there's no thinking the military is going to benefit because they're going to get more support. That's financially and also by their leadership. Do you uh, do you have anybody in mind or are you hearing from some who are still uh, still serving as to who they'd like to see as secretary of defense in a Trump administration? You know, I, we talked about I think I talked about this a little bit and I, I've thought about it. You know, Colonel West, I know I was on Tommy's show yesterday and she, she said Colonel West. And that's a, that's a good pick right there. He'd be great. My opinion, even though he did speak out a bit against Trump when he was when Trump was running, um, is General McChrystal. And that's just from my experience in actually serving under him at Second Range Battalion. That man is a patriot, and he's brilliant, and he loves the troops. And being a, being a Ranger, being from the 75th, uh, you, you couldn't ask for a better person to be in charge, of, especially defeating ISIS. And, and he also spoke out against the administration when he was, uh, when he was with uh, the Obama administration. And to me, that makes him still a strong, strong leader. But you, have, you, know, you also have General Flynn, who stood by Trump's side. And, and that's another good pick. I, and then you also have a, have Mad Dog Mattis out there. There's so many options that you could pick a brilliant commander in chief. I mean, a, a brilliant uh, secretary of defense that uh, uh, Trump, I don't think he can he can go wrong. He's got so many great options out there. And there's so many patriots that are just waiting in the wings to come in and lead the troops and defeat terrorism that uh, that uh, Trump. Uh, honestly, Trump has an easy pick, I would think, on secretary of defense. Now, you mentioned ISIS. Uh, right now, the fight for Mosul is still underway, but that's yeah. just part of the anti-ISIS campaign that we're going to have to wage. The Trump administration, or the would-be, soon-to-be Trump administration, is already focusing in on ISIS as something that's going to be a, a foreign policy and, and defense focus. Uh, I'm, ex- I'm expecting, and I, I'm assuming you're going to say you're expecting the same, there's going to be a lot of usage of uh, special operations going after ISIS really all over the world, wherever ISIS pops up its head. Yeah, I, I, that's a, I couldn't be uh, more in agreement with you there. Utilize the special operations troops. It's one of the things that was a benefit, especially in Afghanistan with the special operations troops, when you were utilizing them on the ground, is they do strike fear into the terrorists. They bring terror to the terrorists, and that's what you need to defeat it. You, you, it, you, you can go and decimate it. You can go and kill and have as many bodies of terrorists out there. But it really is the ideology that you have to defeat and sometimes terror and making people afraid to join a terrorist organization will stop it because you're going to stop the recruiting. And, and you know, we have the best special operations troops in the world, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, Delta, Special Forces, Pararescue, that can go on. Utilize these guys. They want to be on the ground. They want to be on the front lines. And they are the best, especially at night. They're advantaged at night. And, and utilize them to, to, take it to the, take it to the terrorists. And bring fear and strike fear into the hearts of those people in their own countries. Um, I, I do see that as well, but I hope he I hope he utilizes it, and that's why again, uh, uh, General McChrystal would be perfect because he was a commander of SOCOM. He knows how to utilize those those special operations troops because he, he was one. He was an operator. Um, but yeah, you know, brother, I, I, I guess it's just still a wait and see, and and we'll maybe we can talk about this again in six months, or hopefully it doesn't even take that long. Hopefully. It's, three months and we know what's going on and we absolutely think, yeah, it's working uh, chris we'd uh, we'd yeah. love to have you back uh thank you for calling and thank you for your service chris tanto peranto was a former army ranger he was part of the cia annex team that responded uh, you can read about it in the book 13 hours and also see it in the movie uh, go to chris uh chris as well for more uh chris really appreciate it sir thank you you too bro thanks for being a patriot buck take care buddy you too 
Um, always fun to get a chance to talk to Chris. I saw him a few weeks ago at an event here in New York City, uh, the Red Circle Foundation event, which is Brandon Webb, former Navy SEALs uh, charity that gives money to those who from the special operations community who are uh, killed in action. Uh, and it's just the money just goes to the family. They, they show up. They say, what do you need right away? So you can go to redcirclefoundation.org if you want to know more about what they do. Uh, Chris gave an incredible speech, went over an hour, and nobody even noticed what the time was. Uh, he just walked us through everything that happened that night in Benghazi. And uh, there, you could have heard a pin drop in that room. So it's uh, always good to have Chris on the line. Uh, team, please download today's show. Uh, share it with some friends. It's how we grow Team Buck. That's uh, how we keep the Freedom Hunt rocking and rolling. Uh, tomorrow is Thursday, right? So, yeah, we'll have some stuff to talk about Thursday, and then we'll get into a Freestyle Friday, close out the week. Already looking forward to all of that and more. If you want to give me some thoughts on the show, facebook.com slash bucksexton is the place to go. Uh, with that in mind, I am going to go do some really cool stuff here in New York. Shields high. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.